facts, fibs, and fairy tales. Not to sidebar it too much at this point, because there's way more sidebars later. This hot piece of ass, apparently. Get it. That it just, like, it just exploded. I've, like, never seen jizz like this. She was like, oh, you're not supposed to sleep over on the first date. I was like, yeah, fair enough. But did you ever see her again? Or was that, was that it? That was last night. It was like an audience participation. No. Sort of deal. And, like, you know me. Any attention I can get, I'm going to fucking take. Yeah. Like, that's my currency, his attention. (laughs) Welcome to Facts, Fibs, and Fairy Tales. It's your factual fairy, Matt Sweet, giving you episode two of series six, uh, where we, well, I guess we, not really we, I expose you to some of the content that exists in There Is No Secret, How to Be a Fucking Unicorn. That memoir I wrote that never got published. <laughs> um, little check-in on me, you know. It's been a few days since the breakup, and I'm feeling a little less emotionally raw than perhaps the last episode, so that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm up in nature in Ontario's northern lands. I guess, like, midlands, really. Um, yeah, hanging out near Minden, Ontario. There's a beautiful river. Earlier today, I fished a dog out from under the porch, which was a whole thing. And uh, I won't even lie about it, because I had the place to myself. I spent a little time just hanging out in the sunshine in my underwear. So, you know, I don't think there were any neighbors nearby, but, like, either way, they got a cute little show. Um, yeah, anywho, so that's my little update, and uh, I hope you're all doing well. I'm going to lean in now to... What is part two of There Is No Secret, How to Be a Fucking Unicorn? Uh, This one's called The Reinvention of Matt Sweet, part two. And I know that sounds confusing, because the first part wasn't called part one. Um, It's because there's many reinventions, I think, and uh, another reinvention happens later in the book. Anywho, uh, with that, I'm going to lean in and give a little reading, so... Bear with me, and I hope you can hear the sounds of nature in the background. (laughs) All right, here we go. Identity experts like RuPaul know that the person we are every day is a lie. It's just a character we've built over the course of our existence. At any time, we can choose to be something entirely different. The challenge of this idea is that it takes real courage to wake up one day and become something entirely new. This might surprise you, but there was once a time in my life when I wasn't a self-actualized unicorn. In fact, I was searching for something without knowing it. And like all such situations, the thing I found was in the very last place I expected to look. Enter Will. Describing Will is like trying to describe gasoline floating on water. The colors keep changing, and the moment you think you understand what motivates him, he will surprise you. Will is a British import with a patrician vibe who can come off a bit fussy even though he loves nothing more than engaging in classically butch activities like hiking, chopping wood, and taking dick. I first heard about Will through my boyfriend at the time, Ryan. Ryan was a Scottish import and was a real good time gal. Will and Ryan knew each other through a water water polo league they were part of, and it was that most holy of gay holidays, Halloween. I was building my first ever couple's costume in the form of a full-out Southern Belle hoop skirt. Ryan's job was the wigs, and Will knew about wigs. I didn't actually meet Will until the night of Halloween, and I can safely say that the course of my life changed that night. But before we get to all that, a brief description of what Halloween night in Toronto is like. 
It's cold, but those of us who love costume endure it for the accolades. We all parade up and down the gay village strip and feast on the endless snapping of photographs from tourists, lost heterosexual locals, and newly arrived immigrants gagging on all of our eleganza. You know that you've managed to create something remarkable when you achieve the full circle. This is when you're standing in the center of a ring of photographers all snapping away while you pose and flaunt yourself. It is the best rush in the entire world, and it is the thing that keeps us costume addicts coming back every year. So Ryan and I are making our way towards the gay village, fully decked out in our handmade silken fringe hoop skirts. I am slaying the southern accent, and poor Scottish Ryan is, well, giving it a college try. We are scheduled to meet Will en route, and I know that we were going to be friends as soon as I got within 200 meters of him. In the distance, I saw Queen Elizabeth I, a gorgeous purple velvet skirt covered in pearl details pulled the eye in. Then you traveled up the stunning embroidered bodice to the white face with that frozen expression. To land on the glorious crowning braided red wig, it was perfect. And as we got closer, it was the accessories that really did me in. Rings, more rings, and pearls, and more pearls, and I shit you not, a fucking pomander. You may be thinking, what the fuck is a pomander? It is a thing folks in previous ages carried around because they all smelled like shit. Basically, it's dried fruit and spices in a ball shape. This extreme level of detail would become a cornerstone of my relationship with Will. We met, gasped over each other's costume, and made our way to the village to greet our adoring fans. That night, something remarkable happened. Despite our costumes having no discernible connection, people kept demanding we pose together. Throughout the night, we chatted about how the constant camera flashes made it impossible to see anything. The assholes who grabbed hold of us and tore our costumes so we, could, we would pose for a photo with them, and the rush of feeling famous, if only for an evening. By the end of the night, we were frozen solid, footsore, and fast friends. From there, we saw each other constantly. We would guzzle apothic red wine by the case, eat China gourmet chicken balls by the truckload, and tell repugnant jokes to and about each other. He also introduced me to one of my other best friends, Francisco, who we will come back to later in my meandering life story. For now, though, it's about Will and how he changed my life by accident. One day, a year later, we were walking down the street when it happened. We ran into a man with two names, one of them being Sebastio and the other being Twisted. Will knew him peripherally as a host and participant in the ballroom scene. They struck up a conversation about how badly Will wanted to get involved, and Twisted said, Well, there's a ball in two weeks. Why don't you come out and walk? They shared some details, and we continued on. And as soon as Twisted was out of earshot, I turned to Will and said, What the fuck is ballroom? <laughs> ballroom is essentially a competitive dance party, walk-off, art thing. If you've ever seen the documentary Paris is Burning, or the show Pose, you know exactly what it is. If you haven't, you need to go watch Pose, and you absolutely need to go watch Paris is Burning. If you haven't seen that movie, though, you probably have seen Zoolander. You know that part where they have a walk-off judged by the endlessly talented David Bowie? It's like that, kind of. There are a bunch of different categories that anyone can walk, and they are judged by a panel of judges. And they go up against anybody else walking until a winner is crowned. In ballroom, your job is to make the audience gasp for breath and beg for more. Will would be walking a category called Bizarre. This category is designed for the, the costume girls. It was, uh, 
Halloween-themed ball, and Bazaar called for bringing it to the runway as a haunted house. And Will dove in wholeheartedly. He built this crazy cool gargoyle look that included high heels and expandable wings. And he had spent the lead-up to the event researching paints and turning a lackluster rubber mask into something both terrifying and beautiful. And as the day of the ball got closer, Will started to worry because he didn't want to be the only one walking the category. And this is the one... <laughs> blah, 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 blah. This is one of the most charming and frustrating things about Will. Because he loves being the center of attention, but occasionally is so painfully shy that he needs some real hard pushes to get out into the universe and do his thing. In this instance, his solution was to convince me to walk the ball as well. To compete against him in the category so it would be a real battle and not just an automatic win. Initially I panicked, thinking I couldn't possibly come up with anything, but eventually my theater training kicked in. I broke it down into component parts and got to work on procurement and construction. In the days before the ball, I didn't have a lot of time to make anything, so I called in a favor from a friend of mine. She runs the costume shop at the theater school I went to, and occasionally when making space for new things will let me take old and unusable pieces. She had the perfect thing, a birdcage hat. Yes, a hat with a full-size wicker birdcage on top. I shoved an oversized spider into it with a bit of cobweb. I glued a long piece of fabric around the rim and created a sort of cow dress wrap thing. As soon as you slap a belt on anything, it always looks better. So that is exactly what I did. <laughs> For me, this came easy. The trick was to begin with a plan, but then immediately throw it out as soon as you get started. Creating was just another example of how my life works, and that the harder you want one thing, the further away it gets. However, if you relax and let things come to you, you get better results. So just like that, I was ready to compete in my first ball with the full expectation that I would lose because my friend had put so much effort into his look and mine was so clearly thrown together. Will and I arrived to the venue with our giant duffel bag stuffed with costume. And it was around here that I realized something about ballroom. It's a predominantly black and Latino subculture. For context, watch Paris is Burning like I've already told you. But the short version is this. Ballroom began when drag queens of color got sick of losing at drag pageants to white queens. So they started their own. Over time, it evolved with new categories that represented all aspects of queer, black, and Latino life. Here, <laughs> here we were, the two white dudes wandering into an entirely different universe. The whole night, almost everyone stared at us with quizzical eyes, as if to say, how the fuck did these assholes find their way here? <laughs> we hid in the back room, helping each other get ready, and peeked out through the doors to watch the ball happen. It was loud, the clapping was endless, the yelling was endless. I can honestly say that at no point did I understand what was happening. A category would start, people would walk, yelling happened, laughter happened, then someone was declared the winner. Minutes went by where I just did my very best to clap with the beat and stay out of the way of the people walking. It was magical. And that's the thing about ballroom. Your first time you don't get it, but you just have to open your mind and experience it. It's transformative. So Will and I are shitting our pants in the back. Our category is next. I say, you're up man, you want me to go first? He says, uh, uh, no, I'm gonna go first. So he shoves his mask on, I retie his claws, and then we hear next category is bizarre. Anybody walking? Anybody walking? Ten. Anybody walking? Nine. And I slide open the door and off he goes to live out a dream that he had been nursing for years. And I remember hiding in the back and 
smiling a huge smile when I heard the crowd react to him, opening up his wings. Of course, he got his tens, which here means that he moved on to the battle round. And suddenly, it was my turn to walk. <laughs> I would be lying if I said my stomach wasn't in my throat. I threw my birdcage on my head, tossed my belt on, and stumbled out onto my very first runway. The commentator was twisted, the man who started it all, and he was gagging on my extravaganza. As I walked to the end of the runway, the music cut out. Now, most girls, and especially me now, would have stopped and waited for it to come back. In my panic, I just kept going. I didn't know the rules. I didn't know that the entire point of this moment is to get your whole, full life. Life here meaning that feeling when all eyes are on you and you feel like the most powerful, baddest bitch in the damn room. You have to milk every second of that and do it in a way that makes the audience, and especially the judges, react. <laughs> it isn't very often that a significant moment in your life lives on in video form. This moment, however, does. If you search out Nightmare on Kiki Street Bizarre on YouTube, you can see my first moments as a bizarre goddess in the city of Toronto. You will also see the part that happened after, the part I didn't really expect. In ballroom, you walk once to get your tens. If you aren't good enough, you get chopped. If you're given tens, then you move on to the battle round, where you walk against other people until only one of you is left to be the champion for that night. This night, people were excited to see not just one bizarre girl walk, which in itself is exceptional, but two. Now they were treated to a bizarre battle where the most outrageous fashion look wins. We were young and fresh and didn't know what we were doing, but in that moment we felt ferocious. Looking back, I think both of us recognized that our looks were not quite what we would do now. We weren't pushing the boundaries of fashion or doing anything particularly gruesome. But still, when we met at the back of the runway, there was an electricity between us and the game was on. Twisted announced us, and just like that, I was now the damsel of death. The beat was pumping, the crowd was clapping, and we battled. To be honest, I think I blacked out. All I really remember is the way my face froze in a severe look of boredom, and the way my heart was beating, the way it beats every time I step onto the runway. When it was all over, the judges were pointing at me. I had won. I came back to reality and felt the weight of that moment wash over me. This was Will's thing, and here I was, stealing it away. Will is the kind of guy, like myself, who wears his emotions on his sleeve. He also doesn't like to lose. So that moment was instantly a hard one. I went in for the hug, as you are supposed to do after a battle, and instead I got a demon wing in my face. <laughs> I learned one of the key tenets of ballroom. Sometimes it isn't about the effort you put into something. Sometimes, on the night and in the light, the other person just makes the judge's heart sing. I've tried to carry this idea into my life. It's essentially the idea that life isn't fair, and sometimes you have to accept that things aren't going to go your way. But if you look really close, you can find things of value even in your defeats. At least, that's what I hope Will thinks about that time I totally stole his dream from him. <laughs> <sighs> and so that is part two of There Is No Secret How to Be a Fucking Unicorn. Uh, a little clunky, I'm not going to lie. Uh, 
not used to reading aloud, but yeah, this is sort of not necessarily the first draft of the book, but it's definitely been through people who have helped me kind of condense it and massage it, but it definitely needs some work. But that is a really important story to me because it just was a moment that was transformative. I mean, I may have kind of semi-retired from ballroom at this point, but it means a lot to me. Um, it's where I discovered that you have the choice to be whatever you want to be. It's where I learned that the world is much, much bigger than I think we ever realize. And I got to meet amazing people and discover artistry at a level that I've never seen before. And people doing things like some of the voguing performers of Toronto, like it, the, the shit they do blows my mind. Like I can't, I can't wrap my head around how they use their bodies to convey the emotions they are able to convey. And so ballroom means a lot to me, and as much as I don't get out to balls much anymore, it still matters. And uh, if you ever hear about a ball, either in your city or near your city, go, because I think you will discover something magical. And with that, you know, we're going to wrap up another short episode. Um, stay tuned for whatever part I read next. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you for tuning in, listeners. If you want to connect with me, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, you can reach out to me uh, on Twitter at FactsFibsFairy or on Facebook or Instagram at FactsFibsAndFairyTales or you can reach out by email at FactsFibsAndFairyTales at gmail.com. When you get home, I would like you to masturbate. <laughs>